You're listening to This is Yoga Therapy. I'm your host, Michelle Lawrence, and I've had the opportunity to interview many of those who are making a difference at the intersections of yoga and health. And I'm here to share with you their stories and conversations. Thanks for listening. In today's episode, I interviewed Libby Hinesley. Libby lives in Asheville, North Carolina, and is a doctor of physical therapy as well as a certified yoga therapist. She draws most of her yoga inspiration from the tradition of Desikachar and the Vini Yoga lineage. And she was fortunate to study at the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandaram in 2008 and has immersed herself in this tradition ever since. Her treatment approach is to view the person as a forest. The body is one component of the human experience, and it is impacted by all the others. In the same way, effective treatment of the body requires understanding how all of its parts work together for integrated function. Libby has a new book coming out entitled Yoga for Bendy People, It explores specific approaches to yoga practices to best support people with hypermobility syndromes. Libby herself lives with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, so the topic is a passion of hers. And we're going to explore this a bit more on the podcast today. Thanks so much for being here, Libby. Thank you so much for having me. Can we start by sharing a bit more of your background and how you came to yoga? Did that happen before or after you became a physical therapist? And how do you tie the two professions of yoga therapy and physical therapy into the work that you do? Sure. So I came to yoga in college about 25 years ago. I took a college class and I loved it. And so I just continued to take regular classes and study over the years and eventually I got way more into it, and uh, when I moved to Asheville in the early 2000s, I decided to do a yoga teacher training because I uh, just wanted to learn more about yoga, and I wanted to build some community in my new town. And so I became a yoga teacher in 2005, and as I spent those first few years teaching yoga, everyone has their questions after class about why their body hurts, (laughs) you know, here or there what's going on with my shoulder? And of course I had no idea. So it was through teaching yoga that I got interested in physical therapy and ended up going to PT school and have been practicing now for a little over 10 years as a PT. So I always say, you know, yoga is my main squeeze and that's what led me into physical therapy. And so for me, it's been a really perfect combination. I do treat uh, people in my clinical practice very part-time at this point, and I spend a lot of my time training yoga teachers. So I really like um, bringing my kind of anatomical and biomechanical knowledge into training yoga teachers so that they feel more confident in how they speak about the body and less hung up on some things that may or may not be as relevant, <laughs> you know, in, mm-hmm. in sort of teaching yoga. So I I find that the more yoga teachers learn about the human body, the less afraid they are of it, and then the less of that fear they pass on to their students. So I really Mm. love that combination. Mm, That's great. Yeah. And so it sounds like you do most of your work these days with training yoga teachers, but I'd love to know just a little bit more about your professional practice because I I love this notion that I mentioned when referring to your bio, that your treatment approach is to view the person as a forest. So can you say more about that and what that looks like when you work with patients? And maybe this is how you 
teach the trainees too? And and what types of folks have you seen or do you see in your practice? Mm -hmm. So typically I'm working with people who have already been through traditional physical therapy and perhaps haven't had the results that they were hoping for because I don't participate with insurance or anything like that. It's just a cash pay practice. And so it's a lot of fine tuning and there are people who are very motivated to take control of their condition and, and really study it. And um, typically I'm dealing with people with yoga related injuries and almost always hypermobility syndromes as those two mm. things often overlap. And so I do tend to get a lot of people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, whether they are yoga practitioners or yoga teachers or not, and uh, people with chronic pain in mm-hmm. general. And again, those are all often the same group of people. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about hypermobility next, since you mentioned it and you've got the new book coming out. And you also mentioned in your bio that you yourself live with Ehlers-Danlos. So what is that? (laughs) You know, I I have a a sort of peripheral familiarity with it. And I know that our students who are training work with clients quite a bit. And some students themselves live with Ehlers-Danlos. So Maybe you can share with our audience a bit more what, uh, about what that is and maybe other hypermobility syndromes or conditions and how common is it and what's it like to live with hypermobility? Yeah, sure. Kind of to back up a little bit, the way that I learned that I have hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a genetic connective tissue disorder that causes joint hypermobility and a whole slew of other things, the way that I really came to understand that I might have that. And then I sought a diagnosis to confirm it was in my clinical practice, treating other people with hypermobility. And I was discovering that they had all the same kind of chronic musculoskeletal complaints that I had always had. Mm. But not only that, they had all of the other multi-system ramifications that I had always also struggled with. And so that's the sort of the forest idea is that So often in the medical model, we're treating a symptom as if it's the thing that needs treating. And we it's like one tree in the forest. Even if we're just treating a musculoskeletal issue, we're looking at a certain body part and not taking the whole body into consideration. And then further than that, we're not always looking at the whole human being and all Mm -hmm. the different aspects of life that are impacting their experience of pain and and their symptoms. And this is definitely the case with hypermobility syndromes. So I really learned from my patients and I started to research more about hypermobility syndromes and eventually just a a couple years ago got diagnosed. It really does explain my entire life. (laughs) I've had chronic just oddities and weird stuff for 20 plus years. Like what? Would you be willing to share what some of those sort of related things are? Sure. So as far as musculoskeletal stuff goes, just joint pain and especially myofascial pain, chronic muscle tension, Mm. chronic muscle contraction Mm -hmm. and fatigue, chronic fatigue types of symptoms, digestive issues, a lot of food sensitivities, IBS type stuff. People often have leaky gut And then there's certainly propensity for autoimmunity and mast Mm -hmm. cell dysfunction and histamine intolerance, as well as mental health issues, especially anxiety. Wow. So those are just a few of the most common ones. And then actually the one I didn't mention was dysautonomia, just a dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system where blood pressure and heart rate aren't really well regulated. And so there's a lot of dizziness and brain fog and a lot of different fallout from that heart palpitations Mm. and stuff like that. So it's a really, it's kind of a tangled ball of yarn when you unpack it. But 
that's very common with some of the most common hypermobility syndromes. So I'll kind of go back and address your question about what is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome? Yeah. Because it's really confusing and, and these conditions aren't really that well understood. So Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is actually a set of 14 syndromes. There are 14 subtypes, basically. Wow. And 13 of those subtypes have clear genetic markers where you can have a blood test and they'll identify it that way. And those 13 are considered rare diseases or even ultra rare. But mm. the, the 14th, you know, one of those types is not as rare. It's the most common type and it's called hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And it's not well understood from a genetic standpoint yet, although there's lots of research going on to try to identify the genetic markers for this. It's just thought to be more complex because we haven't found one yet. And it is diagnosed by a clinical checklist, basically. And so it's uh, that's the one that I have. Its prevalence is really hard to estimate because it's so often missed or misdiagnosed. Mm -hmm. Together with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, there's another diagnosis, which is called hypermobility spectrum disorder, which is basically for people who have what really looks a lot like hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, but they don't meet the clinical criteria, the little checklist. They don't tick enough boxes on that checklist. So they get this other diagnosis. And so essentially we're left with a big umbrella of the most common hypermobility syndromes called hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome slash hypermobility spectrum disorder. And so it's this big umbrella and they're treated basically in the very same way and lots of overlapping symptoms and comorbidities. Hmm. So fascinating. I just learned a ton right there. I'm curious how it is treated just from a medical perspective. Yeah, there's not a lot from a medical perspective unless you have mast cell activation disorder, which it can be one of the most debilitating comorbidities where your mast cells, an immune cell, they're basically overactivated and they release histamines and other inflammatory mediators when they shouldn't and you get you know rashes and hives and a whole slew of other symptoms. So I know that people can take medication, mast cell stabilizers, things like that. Hmm. Um, in addition to that, a lot of supplementing with salt and electrolytes can really help with the dizziness and the low, low blood pressure, low blood volume types of stuff. So hydration hmm. is really, really important. And then pain management because chronic pain is a really common feature for people with EDS and hypermobility spectrum disorder. But essentially, people spend most of their time in physical therapy, wow. <laughs> um, dealing with the musculoskeletal ramifications. And some people have chronic dislocations or subluxations, and others maybe aren't dislocating joints all the time, but they have more muscle spasms, a lot of muscle tension, because that is a direct response to joint instability. When someone has unstable joints, kind of floppy collagen, if floppy connective tissue that doesn't provide that passive support, their active structures, i.e. their muscles have to work double time and it's exhausting and they go into spasm a lot. And that ends up being one of the biggest pain generators for hypermobile people. Yeah, that makes sense. So what about yoga and hypermobility, right? On the one hand, I would expect folks with hypermobility to be drawn to yoga asana because of this false notion that yoga is for flexible people but this could potentially be dangerous, right? And there's concerns or contraindications. So can you speak to sort of the intersection just generally? Because I know you've got more 
for folks with hypermobility from a yoga perspective, but what's sort of the caution or what do you see in the general population of folks with hypermobility and their relationship to yoga, asana specifically? Yeah, it's an interesting little intersection because you're right. People with hypermobility love yoga. They come to yoga in droves because they feel successful at yoga and they are still, you know, in most yoga spaces, really praised for their mm-hmm. hypermobility. It's glorified and, you know, it, it sort of gets mixed up with uh, advanced, you know, because you can yeah. get into certain positions and that has become really confused with advanced yoga, right? And it's, it's a real problem. And I talk about that in my book. That's sort of the backdrop is this, it's almost a branding problem in a way of modern no yoga, doubt. right? That this is sort of what people associate with yoga. And then it sets up a problematic situation for those people who are really drawn to yoga, which is that they're at more risk for injuries, strains and sprains and, and dislocations. And, and sometimes a little bit more serious stuff if they have especially craniocervical instability and, you know, putting a lot of weight on their head. I mean, that's more of an outlier, Mm. but, you know, they definitely are at risk for more injuries. And on the other hand, people who aren't hypermobile are often intimidated about it and think that yoga is not for them because they're not able to do all the difficult things. And so it's, it's just a really, the context is problematic and it really points to a misunderstanding about what yoga is in modern modern times. And I would love to be part of changing that narrative in any small way that I can so that, you know, everyone knows yoga is for them. And when it comes to hypermobility, I think too often the conversation only is about how do we prevent injury for these people? And that is an important piece of the conversation, but it's not that interesting. I mean, there are just a few things we can do to not wreck mm-hmm. ourselves in yoga asana if we have hypermobility syndromes. You know, we can learn to sense different ranges of motion. We can work on stability. We can avoid end range. We can avoid the positions of dislocation. We can do a lot of these things. But what I find more interesting is all the ways that yoga is really well suited to support people with hypermobility specifically if used mm-hmm. wisely. And so that's mm-hmm. you know a lot of what I talk about in the book. Great. So let's talk about the book. So tell us about it a bit. It's entitled Yoga for Bendy People. And it's funny because when I first saw you reach out to me and tell me about your book, I almost deleted, you know, the email like, oh, I don't want to know about yoga for bendy people. And then I, you know, read, oh, okay, yeah, she's talking about Elders Danlos here and the hypermobility. I do want to hear from this person, right? So what does the book address more specifically? And when is the new book coming out? So it's coming out later this month. The ebook will be out sometime mid-May, and then the paperback will be out early June. So it's really coming up. And the book starts with some background about, you know, getting our bearings on what is yoga? Because basically anytime you see a book that says yoga for fill in the blank is mm-hmm. sort of, I mean, for me, it sends up some red flags. <laughs> and so... I just called my book Yoga for Bendy People. As, you know, hopefully it will catch people's interest. Like, what the heck? Yoga for Bendy People. Right. So we exactly. need to, we really need to unpack both of those things. We need to unpack yoga a little bit. Obviously, it's way beyond the scope of one book to do that or one chapter, but at least I lay a little bit of groundwork and so that we can envision yoga as something much broader than asana and certainly asana than much broader than fitness. 
And so kind of starts with that and then explains some background about what hypermobility is and what hypermobility syndromes are and what that looks like for a lot of people to live with those syndromes, although kind of wide ranging issues and challenges that they can have. And then I lay out uh, some just principles of approaching asana practice as well as beyond asana practice and some how to use some of the tools that yoga offers to really support bendy people, which is what I call people with hypermobility syndromes, mm-hmm. in you know optimizing their lives, both from a structural perspective, from a nervous system perspective, and also from a perspective of really just understanding their condition, understanding themselves, and finding that sense of acceptance and self-understanding through the yoga practice. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I imagine it might be the only book on the subject specifically. It's one of the only ones. There was another one that came out really recently that looks at, it's called Yoga, uh, wait, Hypermobility on the Yoga Mat. And it's it's great too mm. and does a lot with you know, looking at comorbidities and things. And it, it looks at more specific asanas, basically, uh-huh. uh, and things like uh-huh. that. And I'm taking a little bit more of a general principle approach. So I talk about smaller movements. I talk about slower movements. I talk about stability, wise relationship with stretching, all the different ways we can stretch the body and how some of those ways are you know, more likely to serve us and some of those ways are less likely to serve us and that type of thing. And that, and posture, and we talk a bit about postural awareness because I think posture matters more for the hypermobile person than it might matter for mm-hmm. the standard issue connective tissue person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just given the loads that our active structures are always under to help hold us up and the lack of passive support. So, from an asana perspective, it's really about those principles, and you can apply those really to most of your favorite asanas. I'm, I'm, sure. I'm a really big fan of keeping things simple. I don't think asana needs to be fancy. I think the simple stuff is really transformative. And when you slow it down and you explore a range of motion differently, then we're building things that bendy people really, really need, such as motor control and proprioception. Bendy people tend to have poor proprioception, a poor sense of where they are, in part because their floppy connective tissues you know, the mechanoreceptors that live in those tissues aren't as easily stimulated. And so they don't as efficiently communicate with the brain about what's going on in the body. And so when we slow things down and really explore movement differently, we can train ourselves to have some a stronger sense of where we are, of, of containment, boundaries, and we'll keep ourselves out of injury zones as a bonus. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. It sounds like a tremendous resource and not only for those folks who identify this way or have hypermobile syndromes, but also for yoga teachers and for yoga therapists. You know, I think it could be a great resource that we can point our trainees to because we do have quite a few of them who work with these folks as clients. So the book is really geared towards all yoga teachers, yoga therapists, as well as practitioners who are hypermobile or think they might be. So it tries to reach both of those audiences and try to explain things in a as minimally technical way as I can. But one thing about the population of people with hypermobility syndromes is that they are already out there having to become experts on their condition. Mm-hmm. They already don't get a lot of help and direction from their 
um, medical providers because these conditions are so poorly understood by the medical community. So I think this is a population that can handle it and that really needs to learn about their condition even more. So hopefully it'll be a, a good resource for them, but certainly any yoga teacher. And I talk a lot about teaching tips, you know, our language, the language we use when we're cueing asana practice and how important that is to refine so that we're really saying what we mean. Do we really mean it's better to go farther? And if so, why? Why is that? And I talk a good bit about hands-on assists and sequencing with this population in mind. Well, I wish you the best of success with this new book. And I really look forward to reading it myself and, and sharing about it with our students at Inner Peace Yoga Therapy. Thank you so much. So last question, and I always ask this on the podcast, and it has to do with your own practice. So we train our yoga teachers and yoga therapists at Inner Peace Yoga Therapy that you've got to do your own work first, right? Before you can think about serving others, holding space for others, doing this work, you have to have your own committed daily practice or sadhana. And that really sets the foundation and comes first. So I'd love to know a little bit about your daily practice, what that looks like. And I imagine it's also informed by what you've learned along the way as it pertains to Ehlers-Danlos. Mm -hmm, definitely. My practice has changed pretty radically um, over the years. And certainly in the last few years, it's really become a setting for self-care, which is a part-time job really for anyone living with a chronic health condition and myself included. So my practice is really variable day to day. I'd say I practice about five days a week or so. And some of that is asana almost always on the floor. So one of the things that's really typical about hypermobile people is that they have a lot of times orthostatic intolerance. It's really, really hard to be upright <laughs> because they have the blood pressure and the heart rate issues and they get dizzy and it's really taxing on the system. So my practice has really become on the floor. And it's uh, gentle, uh, kneeling, lying down. I do a lot with self-massage as well as asana. And it's usually pretty short, around 30 minutes. I'd say two or three days a week, I do a longer practice, but typically it's little short stints where I become embodied and I find my way into my body and reflect and get centered and often include some journaling at this point as well, kind of getting into that. So it's gentle. I don't use my yoga practice for a fitness program. I haven't mm -hmm. in a long time. And I, I do fitness with like barbells and stuff. And I do yoga with yoga and that works much better. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds great, Libby. And I really enjoyed meeting you today and hearing about you and learning from you. And again, I wish you the best with the book. And I'll put in the show notes this link, but for folks who want to learn more about you and your work, your website is LibbyHinesley.com. That's L-I-B-B-Y-H-I-N-S-L-E-Y. Thanks a lot, Libby. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like to learn more about who we are and what we do, visit us at InnerPeaceYogaTherapy.com.